Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSillaCast podcast, hosted at PodFeet.com, a technology podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, February 24th, 2019, and this is show number 720. Alert listener James Tinsdale contacted me just today to ask why he couldn't see the chit-chat across the pond light with Donald Burr about 3D printers that was from last week. I'm really glad he asked, as I'd forgotten to put it in the light feed. You see, every week I post the latest chit-chat to the big feed, and then I have to remember to also drag it into the light feed or the programming by stealth feed, depending on the episode. My bad for for forgetting last week, but you should have it now. Well, this week's episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond is of the Programming by Stealth flavor. In the previous installment, Bart had teased us that we were going to get to learn about the template library called Mustache. It just sounds fun, right? But he realized that he needed to teach us about vanilla HTML5 templates first. He starts by showing the problem to be solved, how messy and error-prone it is to create HTML elements using jQuery. You can do it, but it's not pretty. Then he shows us how templates allow you to create multiple elements via cloning of those templates. The syntax is pretty annoying, but I think once we get used to it, it'll be pretty easy and efficient to use. He promises that next time we get to learn mustache. Well, let's get started here. Let's listen to the audio from a few more of Steve's fabulous videos from our interviews at CES. We're almost done with these, and the last ones will be uh, next week. I have to say that having Steve doing all this work has been marvelous, giving me plenty of time to really dig into getting my homework done for programming by stealth. So I'm going to go back to doing it at the last minute after this, I think. Well, you guys know that I've been doing a lot of testing of different uh, portable batteries to try to charge a MacBook Pro, and in my case, a 15-inch MacBook Pro to stress it as high as I can. And uh, I've just discovered OmniCharge, and I'm talking to Eric Matheson, and he's going to show us the products they have in this space. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you very much. He's still fresh. It's early. (laughs) All right. So what have you got here? So what we have here is our full lineup of products. We've got the OmniMobile line up front here. Uh, This is an upcoming product line that is going live on Indiegogo on January 15th. Uh, This is a line of uh, affordable power banks that can still power high-end devices like uh, a 15-inch MacBook Pro, like you were mentioning. You've got the 60-watt USB-C output, uh, which is comparable to charging it with the charger of a 13-inch MacBook Pro. Right, which works. It just takes a little bit longer. It takes a little longer, but it is still very reliable uh, and... In my case, more than fast enough. I also use a 15-inch MacBook Pro. You've got uh, fast-charging USB-A ports with Qualcomm Quick Charge, and you've got an adjustable voltage DC output. Uh, Finally, you also have uh, wireless charging on this one. So you can just place your phone on the back here and charge without any cables. So uh, this this device I have in my hand hardly weighs anything. How many watt hours are we talking about with this? So this one here is about 73 watt hours, but it's actually going to be upgraded. This one here will end up at 99 watt hours, uh, which is That's awesome. just the right amount for bringing it on a plane. Yeah, right. You don't have to talk to the, uh, the uh, uh, air traffic control people or anybody, right? So with the ex- additional volume uh, capacity, it will be expanded to about this, this much bigger. Okay, so the, is, the thing he's got, he's talking maybe six or seven inches long and about four inches wide. We've got audio listeners too, and, and it's about an inch thick. But it, this, these still, none of these devices seem as heavy as the things I've had before. 
and with uh, with straight USB-C charging, you're not having the uh, the loss of an AC to DC conversion, right? Yes, definitely. So with this uh, with the USB-C output, this is just straight DC to DC. Uh, you don't need to like yeah convert AC or DC then AC then back to DC uh, which will honestly take away about 15% efficiency right, and right. That that's what I have found yeah. pretty much the same across the board right that, that's just that's just science that's just yeah, exactly there's a lot of heat involved and well, we shouldn't discount what you said uh, very briefly there for for users who have uh, some of the PCs they've got th- this kind of DC input jack yeah. That you said this is you can do the variable what yes. on that? So we actually have uh, four different voltages available: 12, 16, 19, and 24. Uh, this covers the, the 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 vast majority of laptops, PC laptops. We use a very common barrel size. We use 5.5 times 2.1 millimeters, and this is you can use pretty much any third-party peripheral. You can just use cables you find on Amazon. Plug it straight into your computer. Only thing you need to find out is the voltage of your charger and the uh, size of your laptop, the that's, barrel size. That's great. Okay, now you've got a couple of smaller devices here. What are we? What are we working on down here? So here we have a thirteen thousand milliamp hour model that is about forty five watt hours. Now these are still all uh, prototype samples. Uh, one thing that is important to note here is that this battery cells types hasn't been 100% decided on these. So the watt hours might fluctuate a little bit once these are available in retail. Uh, so These are still so much smaller than the devices I've been testing. Yes, and that is one thing that we really pride ourselves on. That is our efficiency and our compact size. The way we actually designed our PCBs is... Uh, is very much more compact than other manufacturers. Uh, If you were to compare our first product, the Omni 20, with pretty much any other 20-something thousand milliamp hour battery, it is usually about 15-20% smaller than the competitors, and we're still able to do 100 watt AC output and 70 watt DC output. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Now you've got a tiny little, uh, tiny little lipstick size one, right? Well, that's the thing. Uh, so many of our uh, backers and our community, they like our products, but they also do want something that's like pocket size, something you can just carry around. On a we all want day. those. So this one here is kind of cool. Uh, here you actually have an interchangeable cable. Uh, what's cool about this one is that the USB-A port is actually reversible. So in terms of holding it ergonomically, you can swap it around because that way it sits a lot better in your hands. You can see that on the camera. You're, you're blocking it there. Sorry about that. Uh, when you're holding it in your hand, it fits a lot better in this orientation rather than the original orientation here. Oh, I see. Okay, so he's got a... It basically, he's unplugged from the side of it a uh, USB-A, but on the other end of it, he's got a lightning cable. Or Oh, no, that's a uh, USB-C cable. We also have a lightning cable available here as well. Okay, so these are all interchangeable. I see what you're saying. Yeah, very good. So when you plug it in like this, it's sort of awkward when you're holding it. And that's why we were thinking that we care about the way people use our products and the ergonomics as well. And that way... 
flip it around. Look at that. These are pre-production prototypes. prototypes. Oh, no. I think we, I just ruined it. No one can see that. <laughs> it's away from the camera. Exactly. Well, Eric, it looks like we're out of time. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much. So uh, where would people find out more about these products? So you can find us on omnicharge.co. Uh, we will also be launching a new crowdfunding campaign in the middle of January, on January 15th. Uh, you can find more information about this on the pre-launch campaign that we have on our website. So is anything shipping right now? Yes. Right now, we're actually shipping our Omni Ultimate right now. Oh, okay. Uh, this one is I also... I told you to stay away from that one. That one scares me. It's bigger than I could take on a plane. Well, <laughs> all the other products are available in retail on Amazon. Uh, okay. Amazon, B&H, and plenty of other local photography stores around the country. Great. Well, go check them out. Thank you very much, Eric. All right. Thank you very much. I am super excited about these kinds of power banks like what OmniCharge was showing us that will finally allow us to charge USB-C enabled laptops without the loss of using AC, DC converters, all that kind of nonsense. I want to go USB-C all the way. I've asked OmniCharge to hook me up with a review unit, so here's hoping that comes through. This week, I've been working on a video tutorial for Screencast Online about the tool MarsEdit from red-sweater.com. MarsEdit is what I use for writing everything you see on podfeed.com. It's a fabulous tool that makes blogging so much easier. It's beautifully designed and really capable. One of the great things about doing tutorials is how much you're forced to learn when you have to teach, even if it's about an app you've been using for years. I've been finding some delicious nuggets I'd never noticed until I went through every single option on every single menu. MarsEdit works with different blogging systems, but since WordPress is the dominant player, and it's what I use, I decided to demonstrate it using WordPress. When I embarked on this project, I had to figure out a way to demonstrate the tool without throwing a bunch of glop blog posts up on podfeed.com. Now, I could have created another instance of WordPress on my site, I think, or I could have rented a server for like five to ten bucks through a service like Linode. I could have created a free account over on wordpress.com, that would have been fun too. But there's another easy and free method, and that's to create an instance of WordPress right on my Mac. It would be free, and it would be independent of internet access and speed, so it would be a perfect solution. To do this, you first install an application called MAMP from MAMP.info, which is also free. This gives you an Apache web server, a MySQL database, and a PHP programming language all on the Mac. I should say the PHP programming language all on the Mac. So that's why they call it MAMP, Mac, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. So that's a really quick step. Super easy, download, install, you're, you're good to go. Now it's time to download and install WordPress inside this fancy new MAMP installation. If you start at wordpress.org, which by the way is different from wordpress.com, you can download WordPress and do their famous five-minute installation. That is not an exaggeration. In five minutes, you've got WordPress installed and you're ready to go. With MAMP, you have to turn on the servers. Then it opens a web page with a link to your fancy new WordPress installation. You'll notice that the URL for your locally hosted website is called localhost. There's no .com or .org or .co.uk. It's just localhost. The full path to the WordPress installation is localhost colon 8888 slash WordPress where 8888 is the port number, but the important thing to note is the localhost part, which is going to be important later in this story. At this point, I was able to connect my fancy new localhost blog to MarsEdit, and I got to work on the, the tutorial. Everything was glorious. 
I did a lot of the tutorial while using HTML as the language to write the blog posts. So to put in a link, I had glop like angle bracket a space href equals quote blah.com unquote close angle bracket and much worse for the more complex things I was demonstrating. This is the language the web is built on, but for a lot of simple things, there's a much cleaner and more human-readable language available to us. You've heard about it before, probably. That language is called Markdown. Instead of angle brackets and arcane commands like ahref for a link, Markdown uses square brackets and round brackets that make the text readable and easier to see your mistakes. I think my favorite thing about Markdown is how much easier it is to make bulleted lists. So I really wanted to show how to use Markdown in MarsEdit. In order to use Markdown in MarsEdit, you have to enable Markdown in WordPress. If you have a WordPress.com site, the free service where they build WordPress for you, there's a simple switch to turn on Markdown. But if you build your own WordPress, like I did, using the download from WordPress.org, you need to install a plugin into your WordPress installation. The easiest, in theory, plugin to use is called Jetpack. Inside WordPress, you can install plugins directly. I did a search for Jetpack, I hit the install button, and I was really surprised to see it pop up a button that asked for my FTP username and password. I had no idea why it would need that and what the heck my username and password would even be. That started the rat hole about FTP. I tried entering the IP address of the machine I was on and I tried my local login, but when that didn't work, I was stuck. I went to the Googles and I found articles explaining that macOS in the old days had a built-in FTP server, but if you needed one on the modern version of macOS, you'd need to install it yourself. I found instructions on how to download and install iNet Utils. Uh, The article I found was on OS X Daily, and you could do it via Homebrew, but it looked kind of scary. I wasn't really sure that's what I wanted to do. So I posted my question to our Slack group inside the Programming by Stealth channel where the loveliest nerds hang out. Alistair Jenks sent me the same OS X Daily article on iNet Utils, so I figured I'd just girl up and install it. I ran the command to install it, and it spit the usual volume of glop all over my screen. Okay, that was fun, but do I now have an FTP server running? And if so, what's my login name and password? I went back to Slack and asked the question. This time, Troy Shimkus jumped into the conversation. I asked him if he had time for a screen share to help me, and being the swell guy that he is, he agreed. We piddled around for a bit with what we saw on screen, and during this, I just kind of mumbled under my breath, I have no idea why I even needed an FTP server running at all. Just install a darn plugin. Troy explained that to install a plugin via the web interface of WordPress, the plugin had to be FTP'd to my server, which in this case is my local Mac. Only when he explained that did I realize I don't have to install the plugin this way. You see, you could just go to the plugin's webpage at wordpress.org and download the plugin directly. Plugins are just a folder of text files and then just slide that bad boy into the plugin's directory on my Mac. Boom, done. No problem. Don't need any of this FTP nonsense. I made a quick trip over to Cakebrew, which is a GUI interface to Homebrew to uninstall iNet Utils, and I was ready to go. I thanked Troy, and we signed off. You may think I was in good shape now, but I've got another rabbit hole to go down. Now, I've got Jetpack installed into WordPress. After literally a half a day of faffing about with this, it's time to activate Jetpack. I hit the activate button, and I get an error telling me that I can't use most of the tools in Jetpack, including turning on Markdown, because I don't have a dot in my URL. Well, of course I don't. 
Remember, my URL is localhost. I have no idea why they don't allow you to do that. So now I have a whole new rabbit hole to go down. I found several sites offering the steps to fix this problem. The one at drupalden.co.uk is probably the most well-explained. But here's all I would have to do. Open a file called httpd.conf that's inside my MAMP folder, set the document root folder, change the default port from 8888 to 80, add a virtual host entry to my httpd-vhost.conf file to add a new URL like www.mysite.com, edit my system level host file, and I'd be ready to go. That sounds easy. Well, I'm starting to not care so much about demonstrating Markdown at this point in the plot because this is just turning into a big mess. I thought, maybe there's another plugin that isn't so strict about this whole having a dot in your, your URL name. I found WP-Markdown, which hasn't been updated for a year and hasn't been tested on the latest version of WordPress, version 5. But since this isn't a real website on the internet, subject to attack, fe- attack vectors, I figured I got nothing to lose and I lucked out. It's going to work. Now in WordPress, I can see under settings, writing, the option to enable markdown for posts, pages, and comments. Woohoo! Finally, it was time to get back to teaching Mars Edit and to demonstrate how efficient you can be using markdown. And no, the irony was not lost on me that I had spent over eight hours chasing down how to get markdown to work on localhost blog just to show how efficient markdown is. You know, normally I have a bottom line that gives a life lesson or declares something good or bad. But this time, it just seems to be a story about learning tools and how helpful the no castaways are, especially on our Slack. You are a member of our Slack, right? It's easy to join. Just go over to podfeed.com slash Slack and sign up. Stephen Getz made a specific request that I had to come to the Targus booth to see this wicked new uh, HDMI doc from right. Targus. So I've uh, tracked down Nick Markowski to tell us about it. How are you doing? Wonderful. How are you? I'm doing good. Looks like you guys have won an innovation award. We did. We did. We did. Dock 520 Quad HD docking station. Quad, as in four. As in four. Let's see. Four HDMIs out, single USB upstream, all the USB connectivity you'd need, and quad HD quality. So you're actually running, are these 5K or 4K then? No, no. No, these are single HD. Single HD, okay. So these are individually HD, four of them, quad HD. So what's your definition of HD? What's the resolution? 1080p. Oh, okay, great. So they are literally running, let me me run my cursor across. There you go. Whee! That's right, and again, single USB-C connection. There it is, there it is, you see it? Whoa, there it is. It's actually happening. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah, okay. so that's the Dock 520, and in a couple of months, we sort, we're sort of teasing it at CES right now, but we're going to be announcing and releasing the Dock 570, which is quad 4K with power. It's going to deliver 100 watts of power to your host device as well. Wow. So that's the big boy. So that's more a, enterprise grade. It's coming in a couple months. That's this little little guy hanging. Got, it's yep, hiding right. back there. Can you yep. see that, Steve? That's right. All right, so the, the uh, this was the 520, is that that's right? That's right, Dock 520. Dock 520 is on the market today? It is. And yep. uh, what's your price point on that? 274.99. Really? Yes. That's that's bananas. Yes. I was looking for a much higher number than that. Can I pay more? You may. We, we accept money. All of it. Yes. So I'm not completely sure I understand what you mean when you say USB-C upstream. What do you mean? That is this guy here. So your single connection. In fact, that computer, you see the single cable coming out of it. That's USB-C. You simply plug USB-C into this dock, connect four HDMIs out to your displays, and you've got all the real estate of four displays. Just like that. One cable. 
Holy cow. That, yeah. is, that is just so cool. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. So if people want to learn more about these stocks, where would they go? Targus.com. All right. Easy enough. T-R-G-U-S dot com. Thank That's you, Mark. Right. Thank you. Well, I don't need that Targus video docking station, but I want that video docking station. I need more monitors. That's what I need. Well, this next interview is about an intriguing product called Bitdefender Box. Unfortunately, the gentleman I'm interviewing takes a really long time to realize that I really, truly do want the geeky explanation of how this works. He wasn't doing like a mansplaining or anything. He was just being really, I don't know, vague about the product. And I kept drilling him, trying to get him to get into the specifics. He does get there, but I could have gone even deeper. But anyway, let's take a listen. I've been really excited to talk to the Bitdefender people about a product called Bitdefender Box. The Nocilla Castaways are very security conscious, so this is, sounds like it might be something right up our alley. I'm talking to Dan Bertie right now. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks. Uh, so, yeah, what we have here is uh, something that we announced a couple of years ago. This is our second generation product, uh, Bitdefender Box, which is a kind of a hardware security all included for the smart home. Ah. So one of the craziest things is people don't realize they live in a smart home yet. It's something that we uh, still kind of figured out and kind of point out. I have out. a smart home. I just have cameras and locks and things sprinkled all over. My lights turn on and off for me. There you go. 27 <laughs> devices on average per household is that what we're seeing. It's kind of wow. crazy. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so, so, uh, so what, we're doing, what we're doing here at CS uh, 2019 is uh, we're using all the experience and all the knowledge that we, we, we gathered with this product and unpacking uh, the technology within to make it available to everybody around here. Because you look around this in the smart home sector, everybody sells a device or another that's connected in a form of shape. So, right. So, what problem does a Bitdefender box solve? Right. So, uh, to oversimplify it, you know, when you stole an antivirus on your PC to keep the bad guys out and the viruses out, uh, it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, but you know, obviously more complex and so much better. The challenges are for connected devices on the network is that you can't install anything on them. You can't install a software bit on on a on a thermostat to make it secure. Right. So the way that this works is we we had to go as a software company had to go and invent a hardware device which was totally out of our comfort zone. Um, uh, a device that sits on the network acts like a firewall or in a protection security device. It looks like a a, a, a multi level. Um, uh, uh, multi-technologies and uh, multi-points of uh, security issues that uh, your devices might face. Okay, so I've already got a firewall on my router, so this is more than a firewall though. Yes. What is it? A firewall is just really just a set of rules that is pretty static. This is kind of a living creature. This is connected to our cloud, and our cloud protects more than 500 million devices worldwide. Uh, we've uh, protected more than 2 million IoT devices just the past few weeks. So, um, it, so it basically... Walk me through a little more how this works. So, right. so I've got a bunch of cameras, i got a I got a uh, Protect. I got an Ecobee thermostat. They're all going through my right. router. Where does this go on the? Uh, where does this go in that sequence between my router and my my modem and all that? Where does that go? So um, the the you know. You would set this up next to the router. This can also be a router if you wanted it um, to have like a cabin somewhere. Like a, you could install it there. It's a network device, right? So this would sit next to your Comcast or. So would it be between my router um, and my modem? It's it's so it's 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 a DHCP kind of a setup situation. So it's not really in between. It's kind of becomes the DHCP server in that network. Uh, it, I mean, so for, you would for have to stop using DHCP on your regular router. Right. This becomes the DHCP server, so traffic can go through it. So we can we can analyze it and. Okay, so you'd have to put your router in bridge mode on the other side of it. If you prefer to use it that way, yeah. 
There's a, there's a couple of ways that you can set it up. We we can um, so yeah. So for if you had like a high end router and you wanted to use the its capabilities, uh, Wi-Fi capabilities, uh, then you would bridge it. But if you uh, had one of those uh, combo modems from your ISP, which isn't great, then you'd probably want to use this as a Wi-Fi device. So this becomes that Wi-Fi device. So uh, then you don't okay. have to bridge it. So okay. there's a couple so of ways either you can way. set it up. Yeah. Okay. So how does it how does it protect an IoT device? Would right. It so it goes anything from for example any uh, of course it comes uh, it comes packed with Total Security, which is our classic security product for PCs and Macs and Android, so there's that extra layer. Then this on the network, basically what happens is anything that has a browser, right? You click on the wrong link, we'll block that. But then it's also a vulnerability assessment. Basically, what that means, you connect a new device to your uh, to your network. It shows up in an application, uh, in, our, in our application called Central that manages Box, and then we run a vulnerability assessment on it. So you know that, for example, that there's known issues with it, like there's a default password or whatever have you, and then you're informed. Now, of course, most of these threats are blocked. So, for example, if uh, you had one of those smart light bulbs like I did that had a telnet server running on it with a default credentials and own open port, yeah. <laughs> there's no way to find that out. So this would tell you, and then it, this would block potential attempts for you know, anomalous connections to that device. Basically what happens is, try to remember uh, the Mirai botnet, right? Oh, so yeah. uh, when, when basically the bad guys took over a bunch of hundreds of thousands of unsuspecting cameras that people have in their homes uh, and used them as computing power to attack other services. They took down Amazon and Twitter and a bunch of other services. So Box would pick that up. We'll, we'll like, okay, this server, this command center is trying to attack our devices. We'll block those connections and it will prevent you know, spread of this kind of you know, attacks. Oh, so, so the information is going to the cloud of what kind of devices I have. Yes. And then the so going through the box, you're pushing down something that's blocking that kind of connectivity for a problem that's with a known device on my network. Yeah. So there, it's a, it's a mix of things that happen locally and and uh, within the cloud for for box. Um, I'm going to give you an example. So, for example, the uh, vulnerability assessment is currently done with locally, uh, although we use the same you know updates from the. Uh, from the cloud, the latest. So that's the beauty of, you know, because you asked me about the the, the uh, firewall. Uh, that's kind of a set rule that just stays that way. This is a living creature just because it gets those updates every okay. Well, very good. So Bitdefender Box, uh, where do people go to find out more about it? Oh, just um, you go to our website, bitdefender.com uh, slash box, or just go to uh, your favorite retailer and uh, uh, you can source it out there, you know, Amazon, Best Buy. Uh, what's the uh, price point on the uh, version 2? Uh, it's uh, the um, MSRP is one one ninety nine and includes a year of service, uh, limited number of devices, uh, and then it's 99 a year. But you'll usually find it, uh, there's a deal on it every t- <laughs> at all times. So you'll well, that's good. Okay, okay. well, so. that sounds pretty cool. That's not bad, not bad of a price to uh, have a little bit of a peace of mind about all the IoT devices in your home. I appreciate that. We think so, too. Thank you. All right, thank you very much. Well, in spite of that guy, I think I figured out how the Bitdefender box works. It does sound interesting, a little steep on price for what you get, but I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it'll be a cool thing. I get so much great feedback from doing the podcast, and it warms my heart to know how much people appreciate the content and the hard work that goes into it by me and by Steve. If you're amongst those who really appreciate the content and you find value in it, maybe you could warm our pocketbook by helping support the show financially. If you go to podfeet.com slash Patreon, you can pledge a small dollar amount per show, literally a dollar amount per show, and it will go to help buy the gear, software, and web hosting we need to keep the show going. Thank you so much to all of you who already support the show as patrons of the Podfeet Podcasts. 
Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchotts. I don't know how bad it is, but I know Bart sent me three separate copies of the (laughs) notes today alone. So, uh, breaking news with Bart Bouchotts. Yeah, I don't think the security news ever stops breaking. So, on the days I'm really organized and get my show notes done early, I have to send you many edits. (laughs) So, maybe the universe is saying, don't be organized. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. All right. So, what's going on? We have, first off, we have four follow-ups from last time. So, that, that okay. So, obviously, the news was breaking at just the wrong moment two weeks ago. Mm. Uh, we, we mentioned last time that, uh, I think it was Mary Jo Foley had just gotten the scuttlebutt that there was going to be prices announced for a Windows 10 extended support period after the, uh, sorry, not the, their extended support period officially ends next January. And after that, it's extended security updates for enterprise uh, and education customers only. And you mean and, Windows 7, not Windows 10, correct? Yes, I do, because Windows 10 is what you're supposed to be doing. (laughs) Yeah, okay. All right. Um, And we knew last time that they were going to be doubling the price every year, which we we laughed at, and we sort of said, well, it's pretty clear what they're trying to hint at. Well, we now have the official pricing from Microsoft, and the clarity has gotten clearer still. Microsoft do not want you on Windows 7 after next January. If you're in a corporation, they are going to make you pay to be a Luddite. So (laughs) this is... Only available at all to people with a volume licensing agreement. So if you're a home user, you cannot even buy this. But even the people with a volume licensing agreement are going to have to pay per device per year for Windows 7 support. Oh, wow. First year for Windows 7 Enterprise, which is the lowest of of the enterprise versions, $25 for year one, $50 for year two, $100 $100 for year three per device. Per device per year. Per device per year. So it's Windows 7 for Pro. a 60,000 person company, yeah. assuming we only had one per, one device per person, which isn't true. Is that yeah. 60 million? 60,000, yeah. 600,000? No, it's 6 million. Yeah, I'm not sure that extra zero makes any not that much better or worse. <laughs> To use a crappy old operating system when a perfectly good one is there. Yeah, and that's for the Enterprise Edition, which is basically the the lower of the two versions for volume license customers. Windows 7 Pro will start at 50, double to 100, and then 200. This is brilliant. Yes, it is. I love it. This is absolutely brilliant. So we now have the details. There we go. Um. The next story is kind of, we all knew this was coming, right? So as we recorded last time, the shoe was just hovering in midair about uh, Facebook and Google having been slapped for abusing Apple's enterprise developer program. And they sort of kind of apologized. Well, Google actually apologized. Facebook sort of kind of apologized. And then they had new certs issued to them. And I don't think any of us thought this was the last we'd hear of this kind of thing. And that has proven to be very true because, of course, everyone now went to digging, right? You know, basically all the reporters got the sniff of there's a story here. And so off (laughs) they went a looking. So the question is how many companies were abusing it? The answer is many and for many things. So you cannot get gambling apps into the iOS store, but you can charge people and then let them in through the back door by abusing a, an enterprise certificate. Mm-hmm. You cannot put pornography on an iPhone, but you can, you see where this is going. Piracy mm-hmm. is the other use case that was out there. Um, the piracy one is actually particularly interesting, I guess. Um, so yeah, that, that that was all found to be going on. 
Um, th- there's also an awful lot of terrible reporting about this story. I don't know how... I'm definitely going to get cranky about this on Let's Talk Apple. Do I keep my crankiness till then, or do we do, do we spend five <laughs> minutes on it now? No, go cranky. Go cranky, go, cranky. go early. Right. So the whole point of the developer program is that... Right. This is the Nocella cast, right? So what's your catchphrase? What's the problem to be solved? Right. So the problem to be solved is that enterprise, large enterprise users need to have apps that contain trade secrets that they absolutely will never share with anyone to quote unquote vet, especially if they share an industry with the supposed vetter, right? There is no way that Google is submitting apps to Apple for approval that contain their internal secret stuff. No way. And they shouldn't have to. So the whole point of the developer program is you don't vet the app, you vet the company and you make them sign a contract that commits them to certain things on penalty of you're thrown out. So the fact that Apple, right, at no point in the process of using a developer certificate is Apple involved. You get the certificate from Apple, having proved you are who you say you are and having agreed to the contract, and you have to have your DUNS number, you have to go through all sorts of verification steps. I've been through the verification steps. It is many phone calls, it is much paperwork, it is not you really do have to prove you are who you say you are. At that point, Apple know who you are. You then have to sign a contract and Apple have to believe that the person who signed the contract has the authority to sign the contract on behalf of your organization. Mm-hmm. Right? All the ducks in a row. At that point, you have a certificate. You write your app, you sign your app, and you give it to your staff. It never goes near Apple. And that's literally okay. the point. So okay. all of these people saying, how did this get through App Store review? You don't understand what you're talking about. There is no review. This is side-loading. Right, right. Oh, Apple need to vet this more carefully. All they can do is vet the companies, and anyone who breaches the contract, they terminate the contract. There is nothing else you can do. That's like saying, well, there's someone speeding, so clearly the whole system is broken, and we need to have some sort of proactive cop on every street permanently at all times. No. You know, maybe Apple need to be a little more careful about keeping their eyes open for obvious abuse. But the system is, and the other way to look at it is, what if this was reversed? What if the story came out that Apple had been spying on private internal apps? Uh, well, then Apple would be the bad guys. Right, right. If they'd been watching to see what everybody was doing. Yeah, the whole point of these developer certificates is that it's supposed to be possible for you to have your trade secrets on iOS devices in a way that doesn't involve you risking your trade secrets and giving them to your potential competitor, Apple. If they were caught spying on this stuff, it would be a giant scandal, and I'd be really angry at Apple. But because people don't understand how this works, or what the point, what the problem to be solved is, they're angry at Apple for not spying on people. <laughs> like, have you been people watching are angry the world? on the internet? <laughs> I know, it's like, this is the year after Cambridge Analytica and so forth. Are we actually angry that Apple are not? The only person who got it right was Ken Ray, who went, I am delighted that Apple didn't know this was happening. That proves they're doing it right. And I was like, yes, Ken, you get it. So here's here's a question, though. If there's no way for Apple to see inside and see what they're doing to know that they were abusing, how are these reporters finding all these apps that are abusing it? Because they're selling, right? If you're selling pornography, well, you've got to be selling it somewhere. So if you go troll the underbelly of the internet... So, oh, you're saying they're going out and buying nefarious or buying apps that... Uh, or looking for people obvious, selling nefarious for, stuff, okay. right? Yeah. Right. And so Apple, Apple could do the same. And Apple could do the same, but why should they? They've got reporters to do it for them. <laughs> they're not wasting their fair dollars point. doing it. Fair point, fair point. 
Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. No. I didn't even know people were thinking Apple should have known. I, I oh, The amount of commentary I heard that. to that effect from people who I thought would know better. Um, I did a lot of shouting at my iPod in the last two weeks. Oh, so much. <laughs> um, in almost certainly related news, Apple have decided at very short notice that every developer must now have two-factor auth. So how does that relate to this? Do you think it does? I think, so there's two ways that your developer certificate can get abused. You can break your contract or you can lose your account details. And someone Hmm. who's not you can publish the pornography as you. If you have two-factor auth, one of those two avenues just got cut off. Okay. But that's probably not what caused this massive amount of porn. Okay, it's definitely not what caused Google and Facebook. But it could right. well be behind the pornography and stuff, because that's happening okay. on the shadier parts of the internet. I would not at all put it by those being, basically, you go onto the dark web, you buy stolen... I mean, you can buy credentials for anything these days. Why couldn't you buy credentials for a developer account? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if Apple forced 2FA, then that whole avenue is made so much harder as to be effectively shut down. Now, what I've heard is that they haven't given much notice on setting up 2FA and on, on they have uh, not. developer accounts. They have not. And I am, due to terrible timing, I am currently in the process of making a major change to a developer account. And they have already, anyone making a big change already has to have 2FA or they won't entertain you at all, even though it's not yet compulsory for all developers for everything. It is already compulsory for certain account activities. I've run into that. And some of the Apple accounts belong to people who have Android phones and Windows PCs, it's not going smoothly. Yeah, right. Isn't it kind of surprising that they didn't have 2FA on on developer accounts? It was always available. So if you wanted to protect yourself, you could. But now they're not there. They're not leaving it up to you anymore. (laughs) And they're saying, no, 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 you are protecting your developer account. It seems like a good thing. To be honest, it is, because the security of... Even App Store apps, to some extent, rests on the fact that the person submitting the app should really be the person who's tied to that certificate. Yeah, yeah. So this is a good thing. This is definitely a good thing. And I mean, the whole world is heading for 2FA, so that's all fine. It's just right now, if they had just, if like, if The Verge or whoever, no, it was TechCrunch. If TechCrunch just waited two weeks until they did this big expose on Onavo. <laughs> You'd have been fine. I'd have been fine. I would have gotten by this and wouldn't have thought about it anymore. And then I would have been delighted that they were enforcing all of this. But anyway, of course they should. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's do as I say, money. not as I do. Yada yada yada. <laughs> anyway, so that's where we stand on that. Um, right. We talked last time briefly about the fact that WhatsApp was adding a biometric unlock feature, or actually the inverse is probably more useful—a biometric lock feature where you could have your um, WhatsApp messages be behind a second passcode and or fingerprint scan and or face ID, which is right. a nice And idea. I'd like to see more apps do that. Yes, basically the one password model. And I, right, I, right. I think your messaging could be as sensitive, frankly, as your passwords in some, in some instances. So yeah, absolutely. More the merrier. Uh, turns out there's a teensy weensy bug. It's not, it's not an, it's not a world ending bug. But if you have a timeout set, so if you have it set not to lock immediately, but to lock after any amount of time that's not immediately, then you can abuse the WhatsApp share sheet in the messages app. No, not in the message app, the WhatsApp share sheet in any app to keep resetting that timer so it never locks. 
Oh. So well, Facebook I, I, have said we're on it. Uh, the way I read it was if you went into messages and did uh, a share sheet over to WhatsApp, it could get yes. in. Yes, yeah, the WhatsApp share yeah. sheet, basically. So if you invoke the WhatsApp share sheet, it can be from photos, it can be from messages, it can mm-hmm. be from anywhere. But basically, the WhatsApp share sheet is a back door at the moment, unless you have it set to lock immediately. So Facebook okay. have said, we're aware of this, we're working on a fix. In the meantime, if you set it to immediately, you will be protected. Okay. Okay. So that's where we stand on that. Uh, speaking of Facebook and speaking of Onavo, um, last time we spoke, we were saying that, you know, based on what they had said on Security Now, the troublesome research app was still available in the Android store. Well, I can now confirm that Security Now was correct. It was indeed still available. It has now been pulled and they are winding the service down. Wow. They're not winding it down immediately because it might inconvenience people to have it suddenly cut off. It's like, really? Okay, if you say so. So anyway, there are four follow-ups. So um, notable security updates. We are around about the middle of the month-ish, which means that the second Tuesday is probably not far in our past. And indeed, that is the case. This patch Tuesday was between the last time we recorded and today. We had the usual suspects from Microsoft and Adobe. There were a lot of updates from Microsoft in particular. And one of definite note is a zero day that was patched in Internet Explorer. Sorry, I mean Explorer. Um, <laughs> I'm currently working on show notes for um, Programming by Stealth, where I get to have another wee rant of, you can use this cool feature unless you care about Internet Explorer. Then you have to say in the past. Thankfully, it's dying. Yeah, yeah. It will be dead at the end of January Apart from those people who paid twenty five or fifty dollars a year <laughs> to keep it, and and anybody who's doing that, they can afford to hire someone to program for them. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, WinRAR has just patched a critical vulnerability, which had which no well officially no one knew about. It. I don't know if anyone on the dark web knew about it, but no one no one publicly knew about it, and it's been there for fourteen years. Now, of course, everyone knows about it, so it's very important that if you are a WinRAR user, you patch yourself. WinRAR, do I remember correctly, that's a compression algorithm? WinRAR is a client which implements RAR on Windows. It's kind of the canonical client for RAR, which is the something archive. Yeah, it's the R archive. Um, I can't remember what it sounds like. Right, right. Okay. Um, I, I mean, WinRAR or RAR in general came about to solve a real problem. The encryption algorithm on Zip absolutely positively sucked. It was token at best. It was the equivalent of putting up a beware of dog sign and not having a dog. <laughs> so there was a real need for it when it came out. Uh, these days with uh, with uh, the, the version 7 of, Z- of WinZip, I don't think WinRAR is nearly as important as it used to be, but it's still a popular uh, compression. My, my first memory of RAR is that the, the extension was blocked as being allowed to come into our company, and that's all I really knew about it. Well, one of the things WinRAR was great for was parity archives. So it was the favorite of um, pirates all over the world because you could reconstruct uh, with one missing part of an archive. Okay, yeah. Because it so had really good parity We bits. weren't allowed to have it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, like if you were downloading wares, it was RAR. Because you, <laughs> so yeah. It was, when yeah. you talk about the beware of dog thing, I just have to tell you, when we got Tesla, Tesla's like the gentlest dog on the planet, and we wanted to warn people if they came in our back gate like the Sparklets guy, hmm. 
that there was a dog there. And so we're looking at these signs that say, beware of dog. And we're like, we can't in good conscience put that up. <laughs> so Do we you know put, that in Belgium it's compulsory? We, we found, Well, no, no, no. We just found a different sign. It says dog on premises. Because beware of okay. dog is just, that was disingenuous. <laughs> Factually correct. <laughs> no, I, I love it in Belgium. You actually have to have a sign. Ninety-nine um, percent sure it's legally mandated because every house has one with the same wording. It says mm. "I guard here," and there's a picture of the breed of the dog. Oh, interesting. The breed. Yeah. Huh. yeah. So basically, if you have a Rottweiler, it has to say "I guard here" with a picture of a Rottweiler. Interesting. And if you have a tiny little Pekingese. Actually, I'm not sure it applies to every breed. It may only apply to the breeds that are considered dangerous. I know in Ireland we have different laws depending on the breed. So some of them have to be muzzled. Some of them just have to be on a leash. Really? Oh, we don't have anything like that that I know of. Anyway, there we go. Dogs. Great. (laughs) Um, The other notable security update is that Drupal released a security update to their extremely popular CMS platform. And they rated it not critical, but highly critical with exploits in Zvild. So okay. if you run a Drupal CMS, patchy, patchy, patch, patch. That brings us to notable news. Um, the first story I, I want to draw a bit of extra attention to. So th- my excuse for talking about this is our report from a fraud protection group called CFAS in the United Kingdom. And what this report showed is that teenagers are being successfully scammed into becoming money mules for organized crime online. So a money now, mule is what? Basically, you're money laundering. Mm. So someone is okay. doing something illegal. It right? could be drugs, could be prostitution, could be human trafficking, right? Whatever the scummiest, most horrible thing is that happens in cybercrime, that. Okay. These people then have a problem. They have money. They need to somehow scrub and get back to themselves. Okay. And one of the ways they do that is through money mules. So they basically get you to let them use your bank account to move the money around All right. for, for a commission. Oh, okay. yeah, just do this. Yeah, you know, you get 5%. Yeah, don't worry about it. Just take this million euro or whatever. I mean, you, to be honest, you'd, you'd want to be naive. but Otherwise known as see teenager. Right, exactly. Also, you'd probably want to be stuck for cash, see student. And greedy. <laughs> yeah, back to see teenager, I guess. Yeah. So... This report in the UK has reminded me yet again of something which is, this is not a UK problem. This UK report just gives us an opportunity to talk about it. This is an international problem. And it's really being flagged heavily within the education sector because they're really going after students and they're going after students on their university email addresses. So if you're in America, you're at edu addresses and stuff because they know that students are always in need of more money. So they're really ripe picking for this. And it ends up with you with a criminal record. If you're in America, a felony. If you're in Ireland, you may find yourself in jail. This is serious stuff. So much so that the last higher education conference for, basically there's an annual conference in Ireland for basically people like me in the education sector where we all get together, all of us education techies. And in the, like the the last time I was there was the, the conference before when it was all GDPR, GDPR, and the actual Irish Data Protection Commissioner gave the keynote speech. Oh, right, right. Well, this year it wasn't the Data Protection Commissioner. It was a whole bunch of, uh, well, we call them Gardaí, but our police coming in and warning about the massive spate of cases on campus of these money mules. Huh. And so it was literally the chief of police. What are they telling you to do about it, though? 
to warn our students and to be uh, to be on the where for phishing scams and stuff with where this this is what they're likely to be trying to do with phishing attacks against your institution. I mean, I'm sorry, but a lot of stuff is Bart's responsibility at the university. But warning students about money laundering doesn't seem like it should be on your to do list. Well, it kind of should, because if they're going to be sending phishing attacks through our mail system, we should be on the lookout for it and we should be educating oh, yeah. our users at the opportunities we have, because we have contact with our students. So we should, we should send this message. It's not okay. just about trying to steal your bank account. It's also about trying to trick you into this. And as if, as if the universe had lined up one week later, headline on the Irish Times, student narrowly avoids jail having been found guilty of laundering three million euro or something like that. Oh, wow. It's wow. like, okay, double underline that one. <laughs> Actually, the one thing a, a teenager or student would understand is, it. wait, it impacts me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in fact, the Irish Police Force released a really good booklet for, for students, basically about security, and it was everything. So, lock your bicycle, lock your door, don't let people in who claim they're here to fix your electricity until they show you ID, because these are people who haven't lived alone. Right, right down right. to don't share your passwords, be careful what you share online. And then the whole money laundering thing. And that was actually all in one really nice booklet they were giving out. So I, I was, I'm usually a deep, deep skeptic about our police force and their technical knowledge, but I was blown up. I, I was, no, seriously, they were really good. Oh, neat. And so mm. if this is happening here and in the UK, it's happening everywhere. I think I heard about it in the tech news in the context of Fortnite. Mm. That they that they were it wasn't yes. phishing scams it was actually inside Fortnite they were laundering money. Yeah, because anything with a currency, right? You can go through any currency, Bitcoin, Fortnite, gold, or whatever. I don't know what they're called in Fortnite. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This this happens in gaming systems. You know, World of Warcraft. All these things have had this happen over time. Yeah, this money. is everywhere. So, and the felony convictions are real, people. That that's the bottom line here. Anyway, we've probably beaten that one enough, but I I just thought that was really worth underlining, and this gave me an excuse to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of excuses to talk about it, so okay. <laughs> First thing I'm going to say: fire extinguisher at the ready. There is Uh-oh. no reason to set your hair on fire in this. This is an anecdote. The plural of anecdote is not panic. Wait, we have a fire extinguisher emoji now. We do. I should start using it. Um. So we know that you can do shenanigans with USB cables. We have known about this forever. We have known that you don't plug random USB stuff into your computer that you find lying in the parking lot or that someone gives you, be it at a conference or whatever. This is an anecdote which just underscores that fact again. It doesn't change anything. This is not a whole new reality, a ooga ooga panic. It's just a reminder. It's a slightly new trick. So a... Security researcher wondered how, you know, given how miniaturized modern technology is, how much could you sneak into something that looks like a cable? Yeah. Right? Because if you make it small enough, it'll just look like a cable with maybe a slightly chunky end. Right. Well, what he managed to get into a... string relief on this, right? Exactly. So what he managed to get into a USB cable is the circuitry needed to run the drivers to be a keyboard and mouse and the circuitry needed to be a Wi-Fi receiver. In other words, he made a wireless keyboard and oh. mouse. So you plug this cable in, and it'll pass your traffic and everything else, and allow them to type anything they want into your computer and move your mouse any way they want over Wi-Fi. Oh, so they could be sitting at the other end of the coffee shop. While you're not looking, they issue a few keystrokes, 
you know, launch a, launch a DOS prompt in the background, have it do something and then close itself, whatever. You know, you've gone up to get a new coffee. They've never gone physically near your computer. Right, But they right. have control. It's clever. It's cool. But remember, you were never supposed to be plugging random USB things into your computer. So don't do that. <laughs> and you're fine. Right, right. It's called OMG cable, of course. <laughs> that is clever, though. It's very clever. I like it a lot. <laughs> it's in that sort of a you got to, and I mean, it was done not maliciously, right? It was done as a to, it was done to prove the point we're making here. So it was literally done for the point of people having this conversation. So yeah. Again, keep the fire extinguisher handy. There has been a report published by security researchers, and it is full of true facts, and those true facts describe imperfections in pretty much every major password manager that's out there. One password, LastPass, KeyPass, Dashlane. Those four I definitely remember from reading the article. They're all different. They're all little subtleties. But what they all have in common is that they involve stuff hanging around in memory even when your vault is locked. Hmm. None of them involve stuff leaking out of your vault. And all of them would require the malware to be running on your computer while you're using the app. So we come to the old chestnut of, if there's malware running on your computer while you're using the app, you have a much, 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 much bigger problem than this. This is not a reason to go back to post-it notes. (laughs) This is not a reason to go back to reusing your passwords. Password managers are still far more secure than every possible alternative that has yet been devised. Keep using password managers know that there's now some really nice research that has been given to these vendors and they will no doubt tweak their apps. Now, I don't know whether I would say you've got a bigger problem because this is the main, this is the the crown jewels of what's on your computer. Right, but as soon as you, you, okay, so this is about, you you use the password manager to get the password for Facebook. Uh And it stays in memory, but If there was an attacker on your system, you have taken that password and put it into your browser. If the attacker is in your computer, they can watch it as it enters the browser. They can watch it as it's submitted by the browser. They can get it wherever you're using it. Right. But if they can, if they can get to, if they can get inside the password, you're saying they're not getting inside the password manager. They're just getting into what the latest password that was used was. So the vulnerabilities are about stuff staying in memory too long. Yes. But it's not all of the vaults. Is in memory. Right. Well, okay. But if they're in your computer, they can monitor your keystrokes and they can get your master password so they can get oh, everything in Never anyway. mind. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Right. So this doesn't get it. Like, if they, if there's anyone in a position to use these vulnerabilities, you are in so much trouble. Right. You know, so right, right. this is no reason to set your hair on fire. I mean, yes, these password managers should be as secure as possible. Yes, this is really useful research. And yes, I am sure that the developers will take this on board and make some tweaks to their apps. Mm-hmm. Don't panic and definitely, definitely, definitely don't stop using your password manager over this. That would be that would be like making perfect the enemy of security in any way, shape, size or form. It's just that would be a terrible I idea. I don't think you could convince me to stop using my password manager, Bart. I love it. Okay. I mean, I just, they could tell me, it it would take a lot to get me to stop because it's just, I mean, heck, I don't know what my passwords are. How would I stop using it? Yep. Um, Now, you know the way I like to sort of sandwich good news, bad news and stuff. So here's Uh the dirty bit in the middle of the sandwich. Um, And then we're back to good stuff. So it's fine. Okay. Um, So 
UK government report looking into the whole Cambridge Analytica thing, they reported um, some choice quotes. Uh, The report finds that Facebook intentionally and knowingly violated both data privacy and anti-competition laws. And at one point, this government report describes Facebook as behaving like digital gangsters. Oh, jeez. So they really pull their punches, right? Understated and British as ever. Yeah. Um, court filings in the US have shown that when the US government said that the terror watch list was not being given to private organizations, that was a lie and they were out by a factor of 1,400 because that's the number of companies they're giving the terror watch list to. Yeah, court filings show US government has been lying about not sharing the terror watch list with private organizations. I don't remember um, what the terror it was always watch a, list is, and it's what the, it's they had that list before. that the U.S. government keep where anyone that they're suspicious of might be terrorists. And when you go to try fly, it gets flagged up. Oh, and, okay. And they know it's full of false positives because right. they're being hyper careful. And they said it was okay that it was full of false positives because they weren't sharing it with other companies who could use it against you without your knowledge. So you weren't going to be prejudiced unfairly, apart from but the bit lying. of them not sharing it. <laughs> So, um, what happens as a result of them sharing it? What is what is bad about this other than the fact that they're lying? It means that there are organizations who think you're a terrorist, but you don't know that. Ah. So you have no way to defend yourself. You have no way, and you don't even know you're being discriminated against. You could be being denied all sorts of things mm. and not know why and not be able to protect yourself. Okay. I mean, something which is flagging you as a terrorist with no right to appeal should not be shared apart from the absolute absolute vital things like not blowing up airplanes okay right right yeah i mean even then you can argue from a civil liberties point of view something without due process is deeply unfair but you kind of go i know it's deeply unfair but airplanes falling out of the sky and you weigh those two together you grit your teeth and you go principles yeah but right but that shouldn't but if you share it with 1400 companies yeah Mm. exactly Right. So, I mean, that is basically denying American citizens due process and resulting in people being unfairly discriminated against because their surname happens to be similar to someone who said something on Twitter that, like, along the lines of, well, I won't say it out loud because then I'll be on the bloody watch list. But it's easy to get on the watch list and it should be because we're erring on this, you know, the whole point is to err on the side of caution, but then you shouldn't share it. Yeah. <sighs> That's off my chest now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nest then have come under fire. There are so many conspiracy theories about this story. I don't think there's a conspiracy here. I think this is just incompetence. Oh, let so me, Nest. Let me back up really quick. Sorry. The, when you said it was a subset, I was curious what the subset was. The subset is the known or suspected terrorist list. Yeah. That's the bit right. that matters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Nest do many things, right? I, I still think of Nest as being fire alarms or smoke alarms, but yeah. they do other stuff too, including security systems. And they have one called a Nest Guard. It's kind of a nice name, actually. They're Guarding owned by your Google, Nest. right? They are owned by Google. I wrongly thought they were owned by Alphabet. They are actually owned by Google, and I don't understand why they didn't split them out into Alphabet so they would lose this horrible conflict of interest that's now making everyone suspicious. <laughs> but they are directly owned by Google, I double-checked. So their security system shipped a few months ago um, and it did not have any features that used a microphone. 
and nothing in the packaging mentioned the existence of a microphone. Nothing in the manual mentioned the existence of a microphone. There was no microphone mentioned in any way, shape, size, or form. And then earlier this month, Facebook released, hey, good news, we're adding a feature update to these existing products you already have in your home. You can now use it as a Google Home device. (laughs) Wait a second. (laughs) So it turns out there was always a microphone in there. And the conspiracy theorists are that Google was lying about it, but that doesn't stack up for me because why would they announce a press release all happy about this cool new feature if they realize they're about to catch themselves lying horribly? No, they just forgot. Yeah, and right. if if they if they put a microphone in that they weren't using yet, how would you say that on the box? We gave you a microphone and you can't use it. Ha ha. Well, I mean, the USB port in the back of the Apple TV was always listed as being there and having absolutely no functionality whatsoever. That's a good point. I mean, it is normal in manuals to list everything. It is accessible to uh, for developers. Yeah, it's it's not unusual to list all the hardware because technically, the people writing the software and the people making the hardware don't need to be on the same page, right? Um. Tom Merritt gave a good example of there's a lot of cell phones that have FM radios in them and they don't list those because they're not going to let you use them. Yeah, and I would argue they probably should. But in the case of a receiver, somehow that's not the same as a recorder. Especially Google. And that's the thing, right? If they were owned by Alphabet, they'd have a little bit of separation. But no, they're owned by Google, who are, as Ken Ray so wonderfully put it, the Dysons of data. My new favorite phrase, Google and Facebook, the Dysons of data. It's like, Ken, you have such a way with words. Yep. So that's such a conflict of interest. It's, it's like, you know, do you want Facebook doing a video conferencing solution for your home? It's like, no. Do you want Google doing a home security system? No. So, yeah, the, 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 I, I don't think there's any scandal here. I think it's just Hanlon's razor. But goodness me, there are a lot of conspiracy theories out there. And of course I can't. I don't know, because I wasn't in there. But anyway, that that's what happened. There is a microphone in there. They didn't tell us about it. Now they did. It wasn't found. They weren't caught lying, right? It was, they made a big <laughs> press announcement going, hey, great, guys, you get this new feature. And everyone's kind of going, um, you just scored an own goal. We did? Oh, <laughs> that's a good description. Sugar. We did. Yeah. 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 So I, I think they're being truthful when they said they didn't mean to keep it a secret. But they did keep it a secret, and people are cranky. Uh, continuing with crankiness, so in theory, anyone who's using advertisements on Android devices are supposed to use something called an advertising ID to track the users, similar to the advertising ID on iOS, which the user can reset, therefore giving the user control over tracking. Turns out that on an Android device, it's easy to find other identifiers to use to track people that they can't reset and shock and or horror that's what app developers are doing so thousands of android apps that are downloaded millions of times are bypassing the privacy aware method of tracking and opting for privacy hostile methods of tracking (laughs) like imei numbers and such which they just shouldn't have access to through any APIs. Apple Apple basically locked all of those APIs down, which made some people really cranky because suddenly the MAC address was unavailable to developers. But it was being abused to track people, so Apple went, nope, can't have it anymore. And that hasn't happened to the same extent on Android. So this is a matter of, of Google enforcing their rules. 
So anything that goes through review needs to be checked that it's not making certain API calls, which can be done programmatically and automatically. So I mean, Google is probably going to do that, right? I right. Mean, they are now. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now we get, okay, that's that part of the sandwich done. Yeah, we can now go back to the good news. So YouTube have updated their so-called strikes rule to make them simple and hopefully stronger at keeping nasty stuff off YouTube. Their timing strikes was a little rule. bit poor because... What's the strikes rule? You know the way three strikes in your out is a strikes oh. rule? A Google oh, okay. system wasn't three strikes in your out. It was way more complicated and now it's simpler. So they're, they're basically changing how they police youtube in such a way that it will hopefully be better at policing youtube and be easier to understand for the users of youtube who are being policed okay they made a video they made it all nice and friendly so i i hope they succeed (laughs) because with perfect timing suddenly like a day or two later there was a whole big thing about pedophile rings on youtube Hmm. so i guess they get to practice the rules i guess which they did, actually. They blocked loads and thousands and thousands of channels and stuff. They they really went to town, which is good. Right. But they had to have it pointed to them by the media, which is less good. Having personally had uh, one strike and getting thrown off of YouTube uh, mm-hmm. because a, a guy who owned a company uh, who had one of his employees agree to be interviewed by me and he didn't like what his employee said, he... Yep. Told he reported me to Google and I got blocked. It's like ah, yeah. I don't know about that process. I'm not sure that's uh, quite the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, the, the Google process has been through a few iterations because, like, Since then. yeah, because there have been issues where the report it was too easy to report someone, so you could effectively denial of service people. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there have been changes since, but that yeah, you're you're describing something that is unfortunately not unusual. Hmm. Very annoying. So. Android itself doesn't support a three-level location privacy setting like iOS does. So in iOS, when an app asks for permission to use your location, you actually have three options, not the two you might think. So the, the, the two you might think would be yes, no. And that's the way Android works. You're either always allowed my location or never allowed my location, whereas Apple have this third way, which is only while I'm using the app. Which is So like perfect. a map app... While you're using a map app. Yeah, or Facebook while Facebook is open and you're doing things with it. You would want it to be location aware. Whereas in Android, there's no such permission. But proactively, uh, Facebook have updated their app to give you that permission in their settings. Hmm. So it's not being forced by the OS, but their app is giving you that control. So I say, well done, Facebook. That's the kind of feature I want you to do more of. Yeah, and you're saying they're doing that in the Android app. They're doing that in the Android app settings. They're giving you that option, nice. even though the OS doesn't mandate it. So yes, exactly. Good. Thank you. Something nice about Facebook. I love it. It's important that's to put one. it in here. <laughs> no, yeah, it's exactly. Probably like three in the last decade, right? Yeah, and I think it's important we do it because you get carrot and stick, right? When they do something right, we say good things. And when they do something wrong, we shout at them. That's, that seems fair to me. A heads up to the remaining Windows 7 users who have not yet got the message that you're not supposed to be there. (laughs) There's another message heading your way. Coming out in March, which is the next Patch Tuesday, there is going to be an update to Windows Update from Microsoft. It is critical that you install that update. That update is going to teach your Windows 7 machine 
how to validate all future security updates starting next summer against a new, more secure hashing algorithm. Because right oh. now, Windows updates are still hashed with both SHA-1 and SHA-2. And the SHA-1 hash just isn't secure enough anymore. So they have to stop using it. But right now, Windows 7 has no idea what to do with a SHA-2. So it's going to learn what to do with the SHA-2 in the March update. And then starting in the summer, I think it's either June or July, I can't remember which now, one of the J months, they will stop using SHA-1. So if your machine hasn't learned how to understand SHA-2, you will cease to get security updates. Hmm. So Windows 7 users, you got a patch between now and June. You probably should anyway for a million and one other reasons, but extra important. If you're running an enterprise, this is one of those patches you can't hold or you shouldn't hold back. Okay, suggested reading. Uh, One thing back on talking about how uh, iOS has the uh, on off and only when I'm using the app. I just double checked and Google Maps location awareness is set to only while using. I did that thing where you can go ask Google, what does it think it knows about you? You know, what is, mm-hmm. what's all the tracking information? And the most surprising thing is it said that I, w- I go to a liquor store and stay there for 45 minutes every other day. And it's I looked that at that. From something else. Well, it turns out it's where I park my car when I go for a run on the beach is right next to a liquor store. <laughs> I don't run Google Maps. Right, but you must be touching some of the Google... So You must be touching Google in some way. And given the amount of tracking cookies they have everywhere, God only knows where you're touching Google. Well, I mean, when I'm on my run, I'm running with the Apple Watch and playing music... Or playing, sorry, music. That was silly. Uh, Music! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't be be crazy. It's just interesting. So only while using the app doesn't really mean only while using the app. Well, I would oh, no, say it's not getting it, it from that app. Yeah, I'm saying I, 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 right, that's enforced at the OS level, so I don't think that's where it's coming from. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Google, Google are in. Did you see the recent spate of articles by? I'm trying to remember who it was. Tried to live for a week without each of the big four. Yeah, uh, you can't. Kashil. Oh shoot. Um, I'm actually on a website that has a reference to it. I'm going to find it. It was it was a woman who tried to give up all of the. Uh, the the big four all at the same time Amazon Facebook when, Google Microsoft and Apple so five yeah so she she did it she did it basically as five trials so Cashmere Hill one, is her name yeah so one week without Facebook one week without Google one week etc and then the last week was without all of them yeah. and the last week was just impossible yeah, it was pretty darn hard found, but one of the things she was surprised at was like she apparently Yelp is really hates uh, Google. Because they claim that uh, Google is always putting their results above Yelp. But if you go into Yelp, the app that it uses for the maps is Google Maps. Yeah, and given that Apple have their JavaScript API for maps these days, I don't understand that. I mean, that's why DuckDuckGo went with Apple for their maps. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was... You know, it's fascinating fascinating because I've I've heard interviews with her describing her experience because I don't like to read if I can avoid it. Uh And... It's really like, particularly the like the week without Google was almost impossible. They're just in everything, and Amazon hosts almost half the internet these days with their AWS. I'm going to put a link at the very end of suggested reading. Perfect. Stick it in the um, opinion and analysis section. That's where it belongs. Oh, okay. All right. 
Okay, so into suggested reading as a whole. Again, we fly through most of these, but there's a few I do want to highlight. Um, only one thing came up under PSA's tips and advice, which is very unusual, but it's good advice. Um, how to securely dispose of old hard drives and SSDs. Hmm. Not earth-shattering, but it's nice to have it collected together and an explanation of why you would want to do things in a certain way. Hmm. In terms of notable breaches... Um, Oh, actually, yeah, so, sorry, the two stories with stars can actually, I think, be collapsed into one because they're actually the same breach. Um, Yes, they are the same breach. So if you want to delete the 500px story and just leave the 620 million story from 16 (laughs) websites. Okay. So a massive mega dump has been found on the dark web containing um, usernames and hashed passwords and email addresses and other information from 16 websites. Those being Dub Smash, My Fitness Pal, 151 million, My Heritage, Share Dish, Hot Look, Animoto, IEIM, 8 Fit, White Pages, Photo Long, uh, 500px, Armor Games, Bookmate, Coffee Meets Bagel, which apparently is a dating app, and this broke on um, Valentine's Day, which was a bit unfortunate. Uh, artsy and data camp so I think for me anyway my fitness pal really stands out there with 150 million um, hashed passwords breached from there and 500px is another pretty major um, company hashed is good though hashed is good we don't know which hash but hashed is definitely better than not hashed okay uh, but yeah I, I would be doing the old pass no there's no point in me being hypothetical about it yes I had I had to do password resets on 500px and my fitness pal Yikes. <sighs> but password manager password manager exactly because at least they were not the same password in both i had to reset <laughs> right um yeah there's there's lots of other bad news in there um, i'm not sure we really want to dwell there we've been going on for some time and it's all bad news in that section unsurprisingly okay. uh there is also, um in the news section i have the first there is there's a bug in something called runk which is what makes containers go on Linux. And if you're a server admin or if you're someone running cloud hosting environment, this is a really big deal and you have to patch your infrastructure. But for your average home user, this isn't all that interesting or all that important or relevant. However, the article on Naked Security does such a good job of explaining what containerization is, why it matters, what problem it solves, that I've put a star next to it because I think you should read it so that you understand containerization. If if you've gone as far as VMs and you don't understand what all this hoo-ha about containers is, this article just gets it perfectly. Huh. So that's why I'm suggesting it, as opposed to because you should worry about the bug. Um, your new governor in California, Gavin Newsom, uh, gave his first State of the State address, and he talked about many things. But one of the things that he felt that was worthy of talking about was your data. Basically, his theory goes that there are lots of companies making good money off Californian citizens' data, so maybe they should get a cut, a data dividend. So he yeah. has asked his administration to investigate and see if they can come up with plans for some sort of data dividend. So I voted for him. Yeah, I, I like him because he was the guy who who just basically went, yeah, I'm going to start giving out gay marriage certs. And he, sort of, he was the guy who triggered Proposition 8 by just marrying people because he was oh, mayor oh. of oh, he was. somewhere oh, okay. important. Was it San Francisco he was mayor of? Must be. He was mayor of somewhere liberal in California. So... 
that narrows it down. <laughs> yeah. so, n- not, not Orange, Orange County. County. Other than that, right. It's so funny that you know something that my governor that I voted for talked about and I never heard about it. Well, he's he he's a good interviewee on um, on stuff like uh, Bill Maher and stuff. Okay. And let's face it, I you know I have a certain interest in gay rights, and mm-hmm. he was a pioneer in that regard. So that's why he crossed mm-hmm. my radar. Yeah, yeah. And it's got an unusual name. It sticks in your mind. I, I always think of the guy in uh, Silicon Valley. Isn't his name Gavin something? Gavin Belson? And this is Gavin Newsom? Yeah, I, to me, Silicon Valley is a place. I'm guessing it's a TV show. Oh, it's a TV show. Yeah, it's an HBO TV show all about Silicon Valley. No, oh, who, who knew? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I thought that that's one to keep an eye on. I don't know what proposals his administration will come up with, but I'll be most curious to see what comes out of this. Um, I, you know, I was actually thinking about this this concept, not exactly a data dividend, but when I go to CVS, I give them my phone number, they track me, and look, I got $3 off razor blades. Woohoo! Now, I that understand... That is a data dividend of I, a sort. It is, right? Now, I happen to understand that I'm selling my data. Not everybody else does, right? Right. Uh, at least with a loyalty card, there's something in it for you. Yeah, there's a dividend. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I am very privacy aware, but I have made the conscious decision to use loyalty cards. Because mm-hmm. it saves me a not insubstantial amount of money. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm not brand picky. So when I get a thing saying, if you buy this mayonnaise instead of your usual mayonnaise, we'll give it to you for half price. It's like, Fine. I'm really not that tight to my mayonnaise. I'll go to the cheap one once I'm done with this offer, but yeah, sure, give me your half-price mayonnaise. <laughs> so I don't think I'm what they want. I think they want people who get stuck into habits, but anyway, I'll take it. Um, Lots of other stuff in there in news. I don't want to dwell on it. Um, Opinion and analysis, though, there's two stories, three. Jesus, pretty much. In fact, the whole section I've got a star next to, I've just realised. So... The the guys at Naked Security, I really like their writing a lot of the time. And w- one story in the last two weeks really caught my eye. Now, it comes with a slight warning in that one of the reasons they wrote the story was to explain how how in the real world their software helps protect people from malware. And they are okay. a malware vendor, so that's not surprising. They might want to explain how it works for reals. But what you get is a fly-on-the-wall view of an actual ransomware attack that happened against an actual American hospital. They don't name the hospital, but it's all what really happened, step-by-step, what the attackers did, in hindsight, why they did it, and then also, at what points in the attack is antivirus and anti-malware software potentially able to step in, and of course they point out that their software did step in. Hmm. Uh, but it's interesting to see how all of these hypotheticals, how does it play out in the real world? What do they actually do? How, how, how do you actually get hit by this? Oh, so wow. I thought it was fascinating to see, to see a real world example, a case study, if you will. So that, that one has a star next to it. There's also a lot happening at the moment in Europe around the EU's nascent digital copyright directive. Um, that directive came a step closer to being passed this week when the European Council let it through. So the only thing that's standing between it and becoming a directive is the European Parliament, and they're expected to vote on it in March or April. 
So if you are a citizen of the European Union and you have an informed opinion about this, I would say please contact your MEP and let them know how you'd like them to vote. I've popped a link in the show notes to the search page where you can find your MEPs if you don't know who they are. And even if you do know who they are, this way you'll know their email address. Is this the equivalent of a Congress critter? This is the European-wide equivalent of a Congress critter. So yes, these are the people who get to vote in the European Parliament. And since that's where the vote's going to be, these are the people who matter for this particular thing now. So which one is the Digital Copyright Directive? The Digital Copyright Directive is the one that contains both Articles 13 and 11, which are the link tax and the mandatory filter. Ah, right, right, right. Okay. So they're both in the one directive, just to really cheer you up. Mm. Um, there is also, if you want to get a better understanding of where things stand, there's, a, unsurprisingly, a really good article from Naked Security explaining where things are at. Hmm. And a really quite biting argument from the EFF. And I don't disagree with them, but they don't sugarcoat it. <laughs> um, what really got their goat up was the fact that there were negotiations at the last minute to get this thing across the line in the European Council, where it went this week. And they managed to make it worse, not better. Oh, great. Yeah, so they removed exemptions for researchers... And they added in a line that says that you should proactively get a license to everything copyrighted someone might conceivably upload. So basically, if you're Google, you need to buy every copyright on planet Earth. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so the balance basically, what this tells me is two things. The lobbyists for the big data companies are not doing their job because GDPR actually is work, you know, is actually putting real restrictions on them. And the lobbyists for the entertainment industry are worth their weight in gold. Because they got their way here. Like, the balance is all wrong. This is not a balance between industry and citizens. This is industry getting their way and citizens getting not their way. This is not balanced, is my humble opinion. Anyway, links and show notes. And then something else that caught my eye. So there's a guy called Tim Berners-Lee you might have heard of. He invented something. Yeah, sitting over in CERN there, the world wibbly wobbly world, <laughs> was it? Yes, he's the inventor of the World Wide Web, HTTP, all that jazz. So not the internet, the web. The internet was around long before the web. He has been thinking about how we fix this privacy mess that we're in. And he actually has some pretty darn good ideas. And now he's moving those darn good ideas onto the next stage where he's actually trying to build a startup around these ideas to turn them into a viable reality. So the concept is something called Solid, and he's built up a company to implement this protocol he's come up with. So I'm just going to give you the key quote from the article, and if you want to read more, it's over on Wired, and it's just a good article in general. But I think this gives you enough of a taste to know whether or not you want to read more. So the big idea behind Solid is that instead of a company storing all of your personal data on their servers... You would keep it on your own personal data pod located on a solid server. You could run your own or host it with a provider, much like a personal website. You could then give individual apps permission to read and or write to your pod. When you want to stop using an app, you just revoke its access. Oh, that's really interesting. Isn't it? This is a great architecture. So I really hope solid goes somewhere. 
So I'm delighted. This... <laughs> yes, it will. But someone has to go first and actually provide a working solid server that I can sign up to. So someone has to take the running on this. And the fact that Tim Berners-Lee is off, it doesn't guarantee success, but it makes it a darn sight more likely than if he hadn't. So, yeah. good. Uh, some interesting stuff in propeller beanie section, but spin them up tight. Um, it is interesting. None of it's reason to set your hair on fire, even though it all sounds really scary if you don't read the details. So don't set your hair on fire, but there is some cool nerdy hackery in the propeller beanie. I think we need a bit of a palate cleanser, Alison. Yeah. <laughs> I so, think so I love the fact that Backblaze are really public about how they experience hard drives because they run one or two hard drives. <laughs> yeah, just just a couple. Just a few. And every year they release an annual report about how they got on. And for really, really good reasons, they run an extremely heterogeneous collection of drives because you don't if if you a company like that were to buy all the same drives and there were to be a problem with them it would be catastrophic for the company so they have to spread the risk and buy lots of different models from lots of different vendors to spread the risk which means that they have really interesting stats because of course some of those drives go wrong and we get to see which brands go wrong more than others I love, love this report. My only problem is I, I, I read it. I was going to go out to buy a drive. This is quite a few years ago. I was like, okay, I got to remember this is the right vendor. And I got to the store and I went, wait, which one wasn't I supposed to do? And whatever it was, was the worst one. That was the one I bought. And it was when the, they had the three terabyte drives that were just awful. They were, it, it wasn't, um, mm-hmm. I can't remember which company was the bad one, but they're usually the bad one. And I bought the exact wrong thing. <laughs> oh, it was in your mind as being either brilliant or terrible. And unfortunately, yeah, uh, not brilliant. It, it, uh, it was, uh, it's actually still running in my Drobo. And that's the thing to bear in mind, right? So even the drives with the worst failure rates, it's not 100%. It's not even 50%, right? The worst failure rates are in, you know, in the, in the low, you know, 9, 10% or whatever. So even if you buy the absolute worst drive, it by no means means you're guaranteed to have a thing explode. I mean, yes, all hard drives die eventually, but it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to have a complete dud. But nonetheless, right. it is right. better. It's, it's better than going, well, I don't know, I bought a... Oh, it was Seagate that was always the bad one, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it, if you had a Toshiba and it failed, don't think, well, Toshiba sucks. Toshiba's actually one of the better ones, you know? Exactly. And, the you know, as, as you love to say, and I love to say, the plural of anecdote is not data. And because we all own so few hard drives, we're extremely prone to anecdote. Mm-hmm. Right, right, But right. The, the, the thing that always stands out to me is the three terabyte thing was so obvious from their data for years. I think it didn't yeah, it was, matter who the vendor was. It was a graph was. with this huge spike. It's like, yeah. It's going to Two die. terabyte drives, fine. Four terabyte drives, fine. Three terabyte drives from everyone sucked. Some of them sucked really badly, and some of them sucked less badly, but three terabyte drives sucked. Anyway, so that that's out. Uh, and there's also a nice sort of um, summary, uh, sort of an analysis of the report from uh, Cult of Mac. So I've linked both in the show notes as a palate cleanser. Uh, someone pointed me on Twitter to an interesting chart which shows the facts on security on iOS versus Android. And not just actually, Windows is also in there. Um, 
and private OS. Whenever but it's basically okay. a table. It's the uh, the secrety one used by oh, who was it? Uses private OS. It's like the black phone or one of these guys. Oh, okay. Oh, so uh, when they say Windows, circle, they mean Windows. They mean Windows Phone in this context. Yes. So okay. Microsoft slash Nokia. So basically, it's a matrix of shortest time to publish a software update. Uh, you know, for iOS, it's days. For some of the Androids, like the OnePlus, it's months. For the HTCs, it's months. Worldwide availability delay, manufacturer update versus carrier updates. You know, iOS is one day. You know, Android for some phones is, you know, days or weeks. And then for other phones is months or quarters. Even it's, Android, even Google's own phone. Yeah, so oh, Google's own carrier phone updates. Yeah, so Google's own phone is green on many more rows than the other Androids. But some of Not those enough, Androids... Though. Like manufacturer updates is two weeks for Google phones for max worldwide availability delay. Yeah, where, you know, and some of them are just horrific. Like HTC is just red, 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 red. Wow. And yeah, you guys got to look at this. Right? We're, not, we're not describing it terribly well, I don't think. But yeah, you can definitely see a, uh, a slight difference. It was sadly, just Windows pic- Phone was really good. Yeah, it, they just, they didn't put enough wood behind the arrow. Yeah. Because I actually always wanted to see it succeed. It just, they didn't follow it through enough. Because it was different. It was original. It was not a clone. It was not like, you know, no one started the photocopier. It, yeah. it was, you know, it was a real OS, a real competitor. I didn't I like, like it, to see but it was original. I tried it. I bought a phone. Yeah, it, didn't agree with me but i could see it was different i could see people who loved it and i also really it's also a pity that the um who was it had the card based interface though the 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 former apple guy then they went bankrupt yeah pam pam os right right again i would have liked to see that one succeed but no instead we got the copycat android that succeeded and then proceeded to sell their soul to the carriers and the vendors with the world's most stupid update model that was guaranteed to cause insecurity, which shock horror caused insecurity. Yeah, anyway. This yeah, is meant to be palate cleansing. I, 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 I <laughs> messed up a bit here. Okay. Well, if you look at iOS, you you see why they can do the security updates much more quickly. Yeah, it's all about the model. Updated. Yeah. And yeah. so basically, the next time you're having this argument, don't try to say it in words. Put up the picture. It's just easier. Yeah. So... This is bittersweet, but I. this is why I love XKCD. So the Mars Opportunity rover finally, I mean, it went dead quite some months ago when a giant big dust storm presumably buried it. And the thing is solar powered, so it can only be buried for so long until it freezes because it loses lecky. And they were hoping that if there was enough wind, it might blow the dust back off. And that there was a, apparently some of the wind is electrostatically charged. And they were hoping that might be enough that the small electric charge building up on the rover might be enough to levitate the dust off. Yeah, it didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, the Opportunity rover, having surpassed its original expected three-month lifespan by many orders of magnitude having lasted something like 15 years. Yeah, I think it was 13 years. It was supposed to be 90 days, so... Yeah. Wow, we engineered that good. Or you guys did, let's give you credit for it, right? That's it's a NASA project. So, I mean, the thing did amazingly well, and we should celebrate it. And it, rather than be sad, XKCD put up a wonderful comic, which I just think, yes, that is how we should celebrate this rover's 
really successful time on Mars and not dwell on the fact that it it finally stopped answering us. Yeah. So we'll, we won't try to read that one, but... Uh... No, because I don't think we we could do it justice. No. But uh-uh. basically, I'll just say this. The thing has bragging rights. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. yeah, go read. It, it made me smile I, in a sad way. The one I really liked, and I bet I can't find it again. I know you uh, you responded to it, but uh, there's a, a great Twitter handle called Sarcastic Rover. And uh, I follow <laughs> yes. Sarcastic Rover. It just, it's all space kind of stuff, but it's really funny. And uh, it did a, a really... It was a it was a sad tribute, but it was I mean I actually cried a little bit. I was like, oh, I forget yeah. exactly what they said. If I can find it, I'll stick it in the show notes too. So, palate cleansed. Uh, I I want to throw one more in. Okay, um, and it's not as it's nothing that there's going to be a link to. But when we were talking about being outraged about things on the internet, uh, mm-hmm. Gina Trapani who's always been called Gina Trapani, but she corrected Leo. She was on... on uh, oh, I, I must weekend. mentally correct myself as well, because I would have always gone with the wrong pronunciation. So I hope I yeah, remember that. She was on his shows for years, and he, she just never told him he was saying, it, was, was saying it wrong. But anyway, they were talking about how the Olympic Committee has decided to use recycled gold, silver, and bronze from cell phones to make the new medals. And they were Brilliant. talking about... Yeah, and they were talking about how many phones. I mean, it's like five million phones to make one, or so. You know, it's some ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Number. There's not a lot of gold in your iPhone, and it's not a lucrative source of income. <laughs> no, no. But anyway, they they were talking about all the different ramifications and how cool this was. And she said, "Um, what what are we going to get enraged about, though?" <laughs> <laughs> and I see, just this- loved it. She goes, I, "I can't see it, guys. I, I I don't know what to be enraged about. That guy got nothing." What are you but that is sort of the way the internet works, isn't it? Where people look for, how can I be angry at this? Where is it? There has to be something here. Someone must have been insensitive to someone. Yeah. Although, to be honest, when it comes to the IOC, it's not as if there aren't issues with the IOC. Yeah. May have a little bit of corruption in their history. Just a teensy weensy bit. But still, you know, credit to them, right? Like we were said yeah. nice things about Facebook. I think that's a great way to get the gold for your gold medal. There you go. I imagine it doesn't take nearly as many iPhones for a bronze medal. No, maybe not. Maybe not. Because bronze is copper and tin, isn't it? No, that's brass. Sugar. What is bronze? I don't know. Oh, I used to know this. I I, I have an engineering qualification. How can I not know this? I studied (laughs) metalwork. Anyway, I I think there's copper in it, and that's pretty common. Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, by the way, uh, I just checked. You said 15 years. I said 13 years or vice versa. It was 14 years for... Uh, for <laughs> On average, Alison, we are correct. We are. <laughs> All right. Well, this was, uh, you know, for a, a week that had no security mediums, this was uh, nice and meaty. Yeah. And, you know, strange. The universe just keeps giving. I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> this is... Yeah. Yeah. Someday I'm going to come on and I'm just going to go, there is no news. Do you know that happened in the UK? I believe it was in the 50s. The nine o'clock news came on on the radio, on BBC Radio, and the announcer said, there is no news, here is a piano concerto. And they played music. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So if I ever come on and say, there is no news, I'm going to read you XKCD. <laughs> then you know it's been a good week. All right. Well, uh, I enjoyed it, though. And I learned good. a lot. Excellent. Well, until next time, stay patched and stay secure.
Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Do not forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions. You can email me at allison at podfeed.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at podfeed. Remember, anything you want starts with podfeed.com. Podfeed.com slash Patreon to become a patron of the Podfeed podcast. Want to talk with your little buddies over on Slack? Podfeed.com slash Slack. Still like Facebook? We're still there. Podfeed.com slash Facebook. The chat room for the live show, podfeed.com slash chat. If you want to find those Amazon affiliate links, podfeed.com slash Amazon. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeed.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.